When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we've got a programming note this week. One minor change is happening on the CME moving forward, and that is the kids at home are going to start to hear some advertisements on the proper. In fact, they may have already started to hear them. If they haven't, they will soon. So in the interest of transparency, we thought that uh, we would make a note of it so that everybody knows what's happening. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, and certainly if you support us over on Patreon, you know that it's important to us that this podcast remains independent and that the discourse remains unfettered. This is a move that we think will help us do that. You also probably know that our goal for a long time on this show has been to make the CME our full-time jobs. Obviously, that's not an easy thing to do, considering that there are two of us. We've both got families. We got mouths to feed. But uh, we're actually getting reasonably close to reaching that goal. So during 2022, we're going to be doing some stuff to try to make that happen. So to continue pursuing that goal... Uh, We've contracted with the Spotify Audience Network, which is going to start automatically inserting ads into these episodes. We hope to make it as painless as possible for you, the listener. Uh, If you want to support the CME, however, we have one request, and that is that when you hear these ads, please let them play. If you skip through them, we don't get the money. So, as annoying as it might be, Just let them play, and then you can get right back to that co-main event podcast goodness that you like so much. And Ben Folks, you're going to tell the kids at home that there's a loophole in this strategy, is there not? There is, Chad. There is indeed. You see, if you're somebody out there and you're like, look, I want to support the the CME podcast, but I just can't stand an advertisement. Just can't bear to sit through one. You know what? We have a solution for you. If you go on over to patreon.com slash co-main event, if you are not already a patron, you can join. You can sign up as a patron of this here podcast, and we put up a video version of us recording this here proper every single Monday. You can watch that one completely ad-free, not even have to worry about it. And you get the added bonus of knowing that you are helping to support this independent, unfettered podcast. That's right. Jump on right now. You can see me in my purple sweatshirt. You can see Ben Folks in whatever weird old man jacket he's wearing. 
Uh, it's a very fashionable fleece. This afternoon, fine. you can see the two of us slowly meld into slightly different versions of the same man as we grow older. Uh, we both have glasses now. It's been a few days since either of us have shaved. Uh, it's getting weird. I got to be honest. Starting to look like uh, we might be in the same family. I don't know. I was going to suggest this earlier, but one of us is going to have to go with different glasses frames here. <laughs> it's. I think, personally, I think it should be you. And I think you should get those like white frames that uh, Eric Albarracine, Henry Cejudo's longtime like coach and trainer wears. Get some of those, man. Yeah. Have some fun with it. Okay. Maybe some bright green. Get all Kristen Cinema. Get like some funky green frame, something like that. Maybe we get you with like a cat eye kind of thing. What do you think? I'm into it, man. As long as uh, the terrific healthcare, dental, and vision coverage that the Co-Main Event Podcast provides for us will pay for that, I am all in favor of getting... Uh, getting some wacky frames you know that yeah. Kristen Sienema is that how you say her name is, I think it's uh, cinema but I could be wrong is uh my fashion guru take all yeah. my fashion tips from her yeah maybe get you some of those big Elton John joints mm-hmm. from from back in the day you know what I'm we have fun with it is all I'm saying I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing but you should really just explore the possibilities I'm gonna look into it I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. Uh, don't forget, you can go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and like us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. As Ben said, uh, don't be afraid to sign up and join the team over at Patreon, patreon.com slash co-main event. That's where you find us. We got cool stuff happening all week over there on the podcast, the Wednesday live chat, the Friday power hour. Check it out. We got a patronage tier for every budget patreon.com slash co-main event we got music this week from longtime listener and friend of the show ross jarborg if you like what you hear from him on the episode you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash s-t-h-l-m-r-a-s an abbreviation that i believe stands for stockholm ross three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one we've talked every other aspect of this fight to death but what will happen when Francis and Gano and Cyril Gone actually get in the cage with each other? And in round number two, we always say, generally speaking, it's better to win these fights than lose. But is UFC 270 the exception to the rule for Francis and Gano? And in round number three, the Assassin Baby and Davy Figs are doing it again. Again, brother. Why they do that? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dirty Danny Digglesworth. Okay, nice. Triple D, as I like yep. to call him. Uh, he writes Dirty well. Dan. D- Dirty Danny, he writes, well, now that Calvin Cater has played the role of Bandit, putting a pile of TNT on the tracks in front of the Giga hype train, what do we think now of the formerly big homie Giga Chikadze? Future still so bright, he's got to wear shades? Now, Ben, this was a bit of a surprise to us here. We thought Giga Chikadze was probably going to come out and defeat Calvin Cater over the weekend on Saturday at this UFC fight night in their main event bout. I believe Giga Giga Chikadze at fight time was going off at something close to like minus 225. Uh, So he was the overwhelming favorite here. But obviously, you can't count out Calvin Cater, 
who we knew was a tough guy, we knew was a skilled fighter, and he goes out there, pulls the upset victory via unanimous decision, uh, 50-45 twice, according to the judges, and 50-44 on one judge's scorecard. So a clean sweep and one 10-8 round there for Calvin Cater. What would you think about this, man? The uh, the underdog over there from Massachusetts, the 33-year-old Calvin Cater coming out there, and in the wake of that, painful loss that he had had to max holloway in his last fight coming out here saying i ain't done i'm not done yet don't forget the name calvin cater yeah you know what i was thinking afterwards imagine you had been watching this fight the first 90 seconds of it and then your feed cut out your stream went down power went out whatever you would have been like well man that looked like giga was just about to take over in complete control of that fight. He looked faster. He looked like he was just landing at will and had an array of strikes, had Calvin Cater at the range he wanted him at, was keeping him there, and was piecing him up a little bit in those first 90 seconds. And then Calvin just gets in his face, gets that takedown, a really key takedown in the first round, and never looked back. And honestly, I think instead of focusing so much on what of the Giga hype train now, Maybe we need to go back and put a little bit more respect on Calvin Cater's name. Because I think that that's the kind of performance that that was for him. It wasn't that that Giga just sucked or that he wasn't as good as we thought he was. It's that Calvin Cater went in there and performed spectacularly, especially for a guy who hasn't fought in a year since he took that hellacious beating at the hands of Max Holloway. And to come in there, man, he was doing a little bit of everything, Chad. You see him, he gets Giga to just walk right into a spinning back elbow on some straight Batman shit. That was some Batman beating up the Joker in a back alley kind of shit. Throw your ass in Arkham Asylum. And he got him just to walk straight into it. Not once, but a couple times. The first one was the best one, though. And it's like... If you're a Giga preparing for Calvin Cater, you probably don't think that's the kind of stuff you've got to worry about. You probably think you're dealing with a straight boxing situation. And he's wrestling him a little bit. He's roughing up there. He, he's he's The standing elbow attacks alone were just tremendously damaging. And there was a point there, I don't know, maybe after the second round, maybe after a third round, where Chikadze's corner tells him, hey, just jabs from now on until you recover until you kind of get your legs back under you. And it seemed like that just never happened, that he never did fully recover, that he got hurt early on, and Calvin Cater just kept that pressure on, was not afraid to take some when he had to, to just keep coming forward. And that, I think there was that pressure as much as anything that sort of overwhelmed Giga Chikadze. You make the Batman comparison. When Giga Chikadze missed that kick in the first round and fell over, Calvin Cater dove on that takedown like Ricky Henderson sliding into second base (laughs) head first, like almost put himself parallel to the floor like Superman diving for that takedown. And he got it. And it was in many ways a turning point in the fight. Obviously, Chikadze was not out of it after that. They continued to have kind of a back and forth slugfest for the full 25 minutes here. But that was the first sign of trouble. That was the the point where we were like, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe this thing is not going to go the way we thought it was going to go. And it was just an incredible performance, really, from Calvin Cater, who did an amazing job. 
I mean, not just controlling the distance, but kind of controlling the pace of the fight and yeah. using his pressure boxing game to keep Chikadze kind of on his heels and moving backwards and to keep him from doing the sta- the stance switching stuff that he likes to do in order to unload some of those unorthodox kicks. So you really got to uh, take your hat off, I guess, to Calvin Cater here, who gets this win and uh, reestablishes himself in this division. And uh, Chikadze, obviously still a guy pretty young in the game as an MMA fighter, came in to the cage after being a decorated kickboxer, still in his early 30s, you know, not out of it, has time to, to put things together, uh, if he so chooses to do it and stick around and, and put in the effort to to make those fixes, I think he can probably get it done. But again, to you, does this kind of uh, underscore maybe the fact that we are dealing with Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway? Obviously, we will see how things go against the Korean zombie coming up at UFC 273. But you have a couple guys at the top of this featherweight division, and then there may be a substantial gap between those upper-level guys and these guys like Calvin Cater and, so far, uh, Giga Chikadze. Yeah, maybe, but there are so many good fighters at featherweight, and if I don't know if the gap is that substantial, honestly, because I think that a lot of it could be some of these guys... You know, one year to the next, they might be different fighters yeah. in in both directions, honestly. And that sometimes it's a, a question of how the styles match up against each other. Sometimes it's just one guy having a better night than the other. There's so many good, talented fighters in that division that I don't think you could say that it's just two guys and then everybody else. Uh, but I also think, you know, one of the things we talk sometimes about how you get these windows into why pro fighters are pro fighters and how they are different from other people. I saw uh, the picture from the post fight where Calvin Cater and Giga Chikadze are posing for a picture together. Giga looks exactly like when you're playing street fighter two and you're, you're playing against like, you know, Ryu and you beat him up. And then afterwards you see his swollen ass, bloody ass face talking about how he's going to go home and learn from this or whatever. He looked like that. He looked like the defeated video game icon face. And Calvin Cater looked like he was stepping out ready to go to the club. Just did not look damaged at all. And somehow Giga comes out of that and goes, you know what? I fight this guy 10 times. I think I win nine of them. And you go, really, bro? (laughs) You got to sit there with your your face all cut up and shit after just basically five rounds of domination outside of a good first minute and a half. Five just solid-ass rounds of ass-whipping from Calvin Cater, and you're going to be like, I'd take the next nine in a row from this guy. Well, you got to tell yourself something. You do. And Giga Chikadze... I'm kind of impressed that he can still do that. They can, with a straight face, a straight, cut-up, lacerated-ass, swollen-ass face, can sit there and be like, no, I'd reel off nine in a row. That wouldn't, wouldn't stumble once more. I mean, that Pretty is, confident of that. that's just a, a very extreme extension of the he was the better man tonight thing that <laughs> yes. we hear a lot of fighters say. And Chikatsa had some interesting things to say, not only about Calvin Cater, but also about the Korean zombie who's going to be fighting for the title in a couple of months here. So uh, 
Yeah, he's keeping he's keeping some skin in the game, let's say. He's got his hat still fully in the ring, even though it maybe just got stomped on by Calvin Cater. So I uh, got to respect that. I would I would talk more about the photograph, uh, but I'm going to have something to say about that coming up. And are you fucking kidding me a little bit later oh, on? So I will suspend oh, my comments about the hospital photograph. Uh, next question this week comes to us from our guy, Sean Simpson over on Patreon. He writes, here we go again, Dana White souring the relationship with another TV broadcaster. Let's look into the future a bit. Say the UFC parts ways with ESPN in 2025. How do they get their product in our homes? Doubt they would be on CBS due to Dana's beef with Steven Espinoza. Don't think they'll be welcomed back on Fox. Maybe a streamer like Amazon? Or does the fightpass.com become what I always wished it would be, a subscription that gives me every UFC event, including the cost of pay-per-views? Now, Ben, clearly he is talking here about Dana White's comments uh, over the weekend about how it was ESPN's call to raise the price on UFC pay-per-views, which went up another $5, just as they have done every year for the last three years, and will now uh, cost people $75 if you want to order and stream them the legal way to watch UFC pay-per-views, uh, which was cast in sharp relief, frankly, when we found out that the main event of UFC, what is it, 272, is now going to be Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington with no title on the line, nothing but South Florida bragging rights, nothing but the gym grudge on the line, to which I have already seen numerous people on Twitter be like, who is going to pay $75 to watch that? Now, obviously, those are two uh, somewhat captivating, polarizing guys in this sport. The UFC will, in fact, probably find large numbers of people who are going to pay that money to watch them fight. But we here in the bubble look askance a little bit at that pay-per-view and think, now we're going to pay $75 for this? Really? Really? Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, but Dana White has come out and said, hey, man, don't blame me. This wasn't my call to raise these pay-per-view prices. Yeah, but by Dana White's standards, that doesn't really count as uh, a relationship souring. You'll know when his relationship with a broadcast partner sours. Well, we know, you know how you'll know. Well, will he say that they had a great dinner and they worked it out? Was that how we'll know? We'll know because he'll come up with a silly, demeaning nickname for him. Remember Spook TV? Who could forget you remember Spook TV? If you've been in this game long enough, you you won't forget Spook TV. They're not even close to there yet, and I'm pretty sure ESPN is very happy with how this thing is going. But as I, I saw, I think I saw on Bloody Elbow today that somebody had written a thing, sort of putting in context this whole situation. That yes, he's saying this is ESPN's choice. You know, we gave them that control over the pay per view, so they can raise the prices. Maybe I don't love it, but that's what they get to do. But also, the deal that ESPN has with the UFC is reportedly structured so that. They get the UFC gets a little more money from ESPN each year. So with that escalating, ESPN is going to pass its costs on to us, the pay-per-view consumer, at least a little bit. And so in that way, it is kind of there is a relationship between how much the UFC is getting from ESPN, how much ESPN is asking for from UFC viewers. So it's not entirely like you know the UFC didn't do anything here, and the ESPN made that whole decision on their own. But like even him saying that, I mean. If that's true, then that's fine, and I don't think that even counts as, by Dana White metrics, a, a bad direction that the relationship is heading in. ESP dumb. Okay, is that what he'll say? You know what? That's that's not that's not bad. That's ES a good first draft. ESP 
P-E-N, and the P is spelled P-E-E. Okay, I don't know if Dana White's really the kind of guy to go for a spelling joke. <laughs> go ahead. You know? We're really glad that we were able to sever our relationship with She-S-P-N. Okay. That actually does seem like kind of believable he would go that direction. Yeah, that's with. the reason I saved it for last. I thought it seemed like the most <laughs> Dana White thing to say. Uh, I have often wondered, not to belabor the point here, but about the fightpass.com. I've often wondered, like, after we get done with the ESPN era, if indeed there is an end, as you said, so far, everyone seems just giddy to be involved in it. Maybe this relationship goes on and on uh, to time immemorial. But uh, are we eventually going to see the UFC all the way over there on fightpass.com? Just kind of doing what everybody else is doing, consolidating power, keeping it in house, just basically saying, give us the money. And with a fightpass.com will finally become the one-stop shop for, for UFC fans. I don't know. I mean, maybe, and it would probably make it easier for you to deal with some of the piracy concerns that way, honestly. And if you sold me like one package price and I get everything, pay-per-views, everything, then I'm way more likely to pay that package price rather than deciding per pay-per-view, looking at the lineup and being like, mm, what do you got? Is it worth 75 bucks? So there is that. But the flip side is as long as the media rights landscape for live sports like the UFC looks the way it does, if they go back to or if they go all the way to a situation where you're selling it all on Fight Pass, all on your own, we get you just give us the money and we give you the thing, then you're back to a dependent on sales kind of model. And right now with ESPN, they're not. Yeah. They're getting that guaranteed money. It doesn't matter if people watch this shit or not. And I think that that is a way happier and more comfortable place for them to be. because Especially because they're making a ton of money that way. And to think, okay, we could just switch it all over, collect all the money ourselves, and we'd be doing better. That, I think, would be a leap that they're not ready to make, given the current landscape. If something big changes to the point where... There are no ESPNs making those kind of big guaranteed money offers anymore. People aren't uh, waiting for the next sports media property to become available. Uh, and the, the bidding process doesn't really favor just the vast content libraries like the one the UFC has to offer. Then sure, maybe that calculation changes. But for now, I don't think so. Yeah, right now they have, what, 700 million annual reasons? to stick with the ESPN or something like that. Well, and plus they just, you know, we, we just heard stuff about international rights uh, deals going up by 80% where, you know, you're, you're making so much money selling this stuff across the globe. Do you really want to go from all that guaranteed money that just people just putting it in your pocket, regardless of what kind of product you give them to going back to a model where you really have to live and die based on how much of this shit you personally sell? Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Captain Joe Turner, one of our uh, favorite Deadwood characters here. Yep. He writes, Slava Claus is my new favorite UFC newcomer. He has a great nickname, drops fools with vicious body shots, and celebrates with both traditional dance and breakdancing. I think he's trying to become one of my guys. Discourse? So, Ben, uh, Vakashlav Boroshev goes out there, lightweight fighter, defeats Dakota Bush in a... Uh, an undercard fight on the main card, but a lightweight fight here. Uh, first round TKO. This was one of the more nasty body punches that you will see. Like uh, Slava hauls off short with left hook to the body somewhere. Boss Rutan is just probably sitting eating his Cheerios somewhere. 
And he looks up all of a sudden and he, he goes, a liver shot? <laughs> he just feels it, yeah. He feels someone, the vibrations. Someone just want to fight via liver shot somewhere. Yeah, man. That, and that, that was a particularly brutal one. Oh, however, I'm going to take issue with the implication here. That break dancing does not count as traditional dancing. Okay, all right, but I mean, how sh- dare you, uh, Borshev, Captain Joe Turner, showing a lot of range in terms of his dancing ability here because okay. he does go with like a more of a traditional Russian folk dance in the immediate aftermath of the victory to celebrate that. Then he comes back. He stops for a second, and then he comes back with the break dance and the backspin. So you could say mixing a little bit of the old with a little bit of the new. Yeah. It's a melting pot. I love it. Uh, let me ask you something. If say you're a guy like Slava Claus, which if you if you are gonna wait for me to get tired of that saying that nickname, you got a long way ahead of you, my friend. But say you're one of these guys. You know, you're you're fairly new in your pro career. You're new really to UFC audiences, trying to get a little bit of attention. We we all know how difficult that is in the current landscape. You're on one of these fight night events especially this particular fight night event. There's not a ton of star power on it, but it is the first one in weeks. And the fan base is hungry for a return to UFC action. And then you go out there and you get the first finish of the night. It's been just decision, 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 decision. And then you get one of only two finishes on the night. Do you think that that makes a positive difference for you where people go like, okay, I remember this guy as the guy who saved me from just uh, a wall of decisions. Or do you think that there's a chance that too many people turn it off or tune out before they even get to you that they don't notice? Well, if people are turning it off, there's nothing you can do about that. If you're Vokslav Borshev here, like that's that's kind of out of your hands. So for the people yeah. who are watching, it can't hurt, man. This guy kind of went out there with the total package in terms of like dope nickname. Uh, crushing body shot finish followed it up with two different kinds of dance, a little something for everybody, uh, a dance your grandma might like and a dance your, your little brother might like as well. So like, uh, is it going to do anything for him in the long term? I mean, I, he sort of seems like a guy uh, we will at least remember heading into his next fight, both because of his nickname, because of the finish and and the dance. So like he did everything he could with the limited yeah. exposure that he had on this uh on this fight card so you can't really take anything away from him in that regard i think like he did everything that he could possibly have done i also want to point out got amazing corner advice from uh, i believe it was team alpha male corner while he was he was in this fight pretty much step by step telling him what to do to get up off the ground during the times when Dakota Bush had him down and to get Dakota Bush off of him so he could get it, get this fight back into a little bit more of his world. Uh, since uh, Vakashlav Borshev comes from that kickboxing background, kind of like uh, Giga Chikadze. So uh, a good showing all around from, from Borshev and his corner. And now he is six and one overall in MMA. He had won a fight on the Dana White contender series to get into the UFC. And now he has this uh, stoppage victory to uh to cap that off not to mention 50 g's in the bank for performance of the night bonus there so good night all around for slava claus my my question is uh do you gotta always keep the beard because is the slava claus nickname a uh a reference to he's got that kind of santa claus looking beard going on i mean it's just fun to say so i i don't know if you worry too much about it but 
the beard definitely helps, but it does, you're right, that's how you end up as Chuck Liddell walking around 50 years old and still got to have the the mohawk that was cool in 2005. Uh, didn't you, now people who, who listened to the Friday Power Hour, they remember when we brought back $20 we never want to see again for the first time in the new year and we're keeping track this year. You had Slava Claus over Dakota Bush as part of one of your many, many parlays, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I did quite well. Uh, over the weekend, I went two and two on my parlays, uh, and big guy, little guy didn't work out for you though, right? No, that one actually the two that the two that failed were big guy. No, wait, did I? I won big guy, little guy. Here, let me look. Hold I thought on. you had Chase Sherman in that one. You're gonna make me take it to notes on live on the podcast <laughs> here. Uh, no, I had the guy who was fighting Chase Sherman, okay. Collier. Okay, I had Collier. Uh, so I got to find my notes here. So big guy, uh, little guy did in fact prove to be perhaps the future of sports betting. Yeah, the uh, the two parlays that cashed were uh, big guy, little guy, where I had Jake Collier and Brandon Royville, and uh, biggest favorites on the card plus one underdog. <laughs> uh, actually, the the uh, the podcasts or the I'm sorry the the parlays that didn't cash were the sure thing parlay where I had well, Giga Chikadze. I uh, did have Caitlin Chikazian, so I, I nailed that one. And then also the nailed it parlay where I had Slava Borshev and uh, Giordano, Jordanson Brito and Ramiz Bramish, Bramaj. That also did not did not cash. But uh, I came out uh, $7.92 ahead. So pretty happy with that over for uh, $20 we never want to see again. I suspect we'll talk more about that on Friday's Power Hour before UFC 270. We absolutely will. That is going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. How did you do, by the way? Did you, uh, you come you know, out we'll, we'll, come out in the black? We'll, We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it Friday. Hmm. Yeah, know, I, we, I noticed you weren't. You didn't bring that up. You didn't advertise it as a thing that you wanted to. Oh, we're out, we're out of time on this segment. We got to move on because you know the the proper reaches the largest out audience. We could, if you want to say how you did, you could. Damn it! I would. I, oh man, I'd love to, but we're out of time. Got to move on. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started right now with round number one. Well, Ben, it is all over, but the shooting, as they say, when it comes to UFC 270, we have talked about this heavyweight title unification fight between Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon in every possible way, every possible angle, except what is actually going to happen when these two big heavyweights get in the cage on Saturday night. They are the main event at the Honda Center over there in Anaheim, California. So a short road trip for the UFC in this one. Uh, just just give me your impressions here. What happens when, when Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon actually fight? Because you have, in addition to all of these extracurricular storylines that are going on with Francis Ngannou and his contract situation and what will happen to him after this, you actually have a compelling storyline inside the cage where former training partners are about to square off. And frankly, as far as the heavyweight division is concerned, a pretty uh, tantalizing matchup of individual striking styles here. How do you have it? 
Well, they're heavyweights, Chad. So I don't, I don't have to tell you, absolutely any goddamn thing can happen. And I could envision either guy winning. I could, I could envision several different ways maybe that Cyril Gaon wins. One, you know, the familiar Francis Ngannou way for Francis Ngannou to win. And yet I still, when forced to pick, I think that Francis Ngannou's ability to just land one out of nowhere that doesn't even have to be clean, doesn't have to be technically sound, I think that that still is so great a threat that I, I gotta I, I can't pick against him, especially in a five round fight where where maybe the other guy lacks that one punch, just clean knock you into the nether region unconscious power. But you know what makes me most nervous of all is just the situation that Francis Ngannou is in. We you mentioned this before that where it seems like the MMA gods are not kind to people in this kind of situation. He's just carrying a lot on his shoulders here to come in here with this contentious contract situation with the UFC and to be going into a fight like this where, you know, former training partner, coached by your former coach, the UFC is maybe not hoping to see you win it. There'd be a lot of, like a comeuppance kind of feeling uh, from some of them if you lost that's that's a lot man that is a lot to carry into an already dangerous heavyweight title fight yeah maybe it's just my natural pessimism that comes out when we get into these situations but for whatever reason just because of all of the time that you and i have spent around this sport watching the fights talking to the fighters reporting on various uh issues in this sport it just seems to me like most of the time when someone gets themselves in one of these high profile kind of tiffs with the UFC where the contract is at issue and where it feels like it would be you know like they have a lot riding on it it feels like they get some get themselves into a loss and i i i have nothing to back that up other than you know witchcraft and sorcery and the MMA gods in their meddling but it does feel like people oftentimes lose these very important high profile opportunities that they that they get. And I don't know if that will happen to Francis Ngannou, but it just makes me feel a little bit a little bit nervous about him, a little bit worried about how this is going to go. And make no mistake, like Cyril Gaon is obviously also a very dangerous opponent. He has been going about it in a way that is slightly different from how Francis Ngannou goes about it, but has been no less effective through his handful of fights. I believe what he's 10 and 0 now uh, and undefeated in the UFC. Obviously he, three of his last five UFC fights have gone to decision. He stopped Derek Lewis in the third round at UFC 265 in their most, in his most recent fight. And back at UFC 256, he stopped Junior Dos Santos in the second round. Aside from that, he has gone to decision with Tanner Bozer, uh, Jarzino Rosenstrike, and Alexander Volkov in three of his last five. And so he's out there, you know, a huge man who obviously has tons of power, but he's doing it with a little bit more patience. And uh, I don't know, like, I don't know that I am a good enough striking analyst to say more technique than what Francis Ngannou has, but he's certainly going about it in a different way than the one touch Dean Mock punch of death that Francis Ngannou has. And, and, you know, you would think that that alone kind of favors Ngannou, that Ngannou can continue to make the calculus that he has made in many of his most recent fights, where it appears that he thinks if we get into a firefight, 
I am going to knock you out before you knock me out. And maybe that stands here as well. But I also think that just given Cyril Gon's skill, it would be inadvisable for Francis Ngannou to kind of rush in and throw those big haymakers in the way that we saw him do against people like the biggie boy, because I don't think it's out of the question that if he does that, Cyril Gon might mess around and catch him with a counter here. Uh, So it's an interesting fight, I think, from that regard, to see if Cyril Gon is able to kind of uh, play this waiting game, the kind of patient uh, pick-and-choose style that we've seen in some of his most recent fights, or if Francis Ngannou can just kind of blitz him the way he has blitzed everyone else and walk out of this thing with a highlight reel knockout. Yeah, uh, I also think when you compare the version of Francis Ngannou we saw in his second fight with Stipe Miocic to the first one, there was a lot of growth and improvement there. Not just an actual technical ability, and granted with Stipe it was more about learning to deal with the wrestling, uh, but also in just kind of poise in those big moments and and not completely freaking out thinking the finish is always just one punch away and I'm just going to say the hell with it and rush in there throwing a haymaker. That he just seemed like a little bit more polished and, and poised fighter in that rematch. And I would attribute a lot of that. I mean, some of it is just experience and being at that level for a little longer and having gone through it, but also to, you know, being over there in Vegas working with Eric Nixick. And it seems like that that has been a really great thing for Francis. And so I also wonder, you know, does he show up and look like an even better version uh, at this point after, you know, it's been so long since we've seen him? I don't know. You know, that kind of stuff, I think the power is a thing that he's always going to have. That That's... You don't have to worry about that going away. It's the other stuff about just getting careless, about just throwing kind of crazy sloppy punches because you've been getting away with it. That's the stuff that could cost you against like a good, patient, and skilled technical fighter, which Cyril Gaon seems to be. But then again, Cyril Gaon also does not have a ton of experience at this level yet and in those really big kind of fights. And so uh, you do wonder how... Haven't been there, haven't been through it a little bit, and haven't been on both sides, but having won and lost those big fights in Ngannou's case, if that makes the difference when so many other things seem to be more or less equal. Yeah. Uh, Cyril Gan, whose nickname, as we have mentioned, translates to good kid in English, does in fact seem like a really, really nice guy. Like yeah. they, you know, we've had this training footage come out. We've had the incident where Francis Ngannou uh, ignored them in the hallway backstage at the UFC, just kind of iced them, walked by without acknowledging them. Uh, and Cyril Gaon kind of did his version of why they do that after that Francis <laughs> Ngannou did that to him. He has now since come out about the sparring footage and has said, oh, it doesn't really mean anything. Like there were times when he got the best of me too, which is like a very sporting and nice thing for this guy to say leading into this fight. Uh, and again, like I just say, you got these two guys who know each other very well and have been in the practice room together and have, have worked out together and sparred, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if we're going to see any wrinkles out there. If we're going to see stuff that we don't expect from either of these guys, cause you've got these two, uh, primarily strikers, obviously heavy handed guys who are expecting to go out there and throw the heavy leather. Do you think there's any chance at all in this fight that either one of these guys has a takedown cooked up or a, uh, you know, some dirty boxing, some, some smother this guy against the fence? Because if you're Cyril gone, you look at the career, the, the MMA career of Francis Ngannou, and you think kind of the only thing that has worked against this guy is when Stipe was able to wrestle him. 
And I guess you could argue in the hangover fight after that, when he and Derek Lewis basically went out there and did nothing together. And if you're Francis Ngannou, maybe you think, hey, man, I've got more experience here. I'm the better rounded fighter. I'm the bigger, stronger guy. If Cyril Gaon wants to stand there and dink and dunk around the edge and throw his jabs, maybe the thing I do is I don't fight him at range. I crush him against the cage. I take him down. I show, I show a little of my ground and pound. Do you think there's any chance we get that? Or is this thing going to play out exactly according to chalk like we think it is, two guys uh, engaging in fisticuffs? I think there would be way more chance of Francis Ngannou coming with that kind of a wrinkle in the game plan than there would Cyril Gaon. I don't think you... If you're Cyril Gaon, you dance with Hubronya on this and you tell yourself, like, you know, we have the cleaner striking... We're going to use our footwork to not let him get into that haymaker range. We're going to pick him apart, make him tired, make him increasingly desperate. Uh, and that's how we're going to win it. I don't think you tell Cyril Gaon, you know what we're going to do, brother? Double leg. Because that's just not a big part of his game so far. And, man, if it didn't work for Stipe last time, you think it's going to work for you? You think you, you'd be going to go out there and you're going to be a better wrestler than Stipe Miocic all of a sudden? I don't think you are. Uh, and I mean, even if you do get him down, you think you're going to hold the big fella down there? You think you're going to submit him? Like what? I, I don't see that coming from Seal Gone. I think though, where that dynamic favors the Gone camp is having a coach who knows the guy who has worked so closely with the guy, not just that, like we've seen each other in the gym and you felt the power a little bit, or you, you, you felt a little bit about what he brings. Cause that stuff can change a little bit more, but having a coach in your corner who knows the man and who knows some core aspects of the man that he learned while working with him, the kind of stuff that is not so easily changed. Like here are the things that would be more likely to frustrate him. Here are little things that we could do uh, that would make him feel like it's not going his way. And then we know maybe what, or think we know what to expect from him when he feels that way. I think that's where you have the advantage. If, you know, you got the coach that worked with the guy early in his career. I think as far as adding new wrinkles and stuff, I would say Ngannou is probably more capable of that and comes from that, that team there in Las Vegas who's maybe has more of that that they can give him. Yeah, you know, Eric Nixick would love it. He's probably like every day, yeah. hey, Francis, let me show you this single leg. Well, I'll come over well, here. I want to show this to you. I'm serious. You know, and he, he's been talking for the last like two years about – uh, work on Francis Ngannou on his wrestling and stuff. And I remember him telling me once how, you know, he was working some ground and pound rounds with Francis where, you know, Francis take him down. He's down there holding pads while, while Francis is raining down blows from the top and how terrifying it is. Even when you know it's just training and he's not trying to hurt you and you got the pads up and everything, that it's just a scary feeling to be down there. And man, you want to tell me that somebody could actually do something like get a takedown and then do something with it? Can, I mean, being on bottom of Francis Ngannou while he gets his grounded pound on, that's not where you want to be, brother. That That's a scary thought for Skirrell Gone, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will see how it plays out on Saturday night. I'm pretty excited about it. More excited maybe uh, for this UFC main event that I have been in a while. Obviously, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that we will talk about coming up in round two. But first... Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Uh, ben, I already uh, gave away a little bit what I'm doing here, so I might as well just go first. You mentioned the hospital picture between Giga Chikadze and uh, Calvin Cater. And at this point, the hospital photo has become an institution in mixed martial arts. It's become a thing that you do. A yeah. couple of you know good sportsmen at the hospital going to take a selfie together, no hard feelings 
uh, it's, it's all good. Uh, are you fucking kidding me? I look at this one and I think to myself, do I need to update the Dundasso manual to include taking a picture of yourself with your opponent at the hospital? So long as you look way better than he does. Like, I wonder whose idea this was, right? Like Calvin (laughs) Cater, as you mentioned, looking like he just strolled out of a matinee movie. Like he just put his popcorn in the trash and saw uh, Giga Chikadze on the sidewalk and was like, hey, man, let's take a picture. Chikadze looking like he just went through a meat grinder. I wonder yeah. if Calvin Cater was like, hmm, maybe we get a picture together. Maybe we put that on the Internet just so everyone can see how good I look and how beat up you look. <laughs> so simultaneously showing our good sportsmanship, but also kind of like wink. See, I, I'm looking great. This other guy. Man, I must have fucked him up. Am I right? You fucking kidding me? This is a kind of a brilliant strategy, I think. It is. Uh, and he does look just absolutely untouched. Even his hair. His hair looks great. I probably went in the bathroom with some uh, with some hair gel real quick. I was like, let me just get this hair looking good. And then we can go take this picture while this other guy looks like all beat up. I mean, the other guy, you, you can see into his face. Calvin Cater, hair literally not even must. I'm telling so, you, underrated Dundasso move. Take a picture with your opponent so long as you look great and he looks like he just got all beat up. Are you fucking kidding me? You, say you, don't, think, you don't think it was Giga's idea? Like, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it was, but if it was Calvin Cater's picture, idea, I'd be... Pretty, pretty clever. Pretty clever, Calvin Cater. Well, Chad, my, are you fucking kidding me? You know, Brandon Royal made some kind of references, but it seems like uh, I'm reading this tweet here from James Lynch who said that he spoke to Brandon Royal, uh, who confirmed that he has been, quote, told to keep his weight low in case Davis and Figueredo comes into UFC 270 fight week heavy, uh, basically as a replacement, like stay ready in case we need to call you up. Now, you can see why the UFC would be thinking about that. Your boy, Davey Figs, has had some issues with the weight cut in the past. You know, the first fight against Brandon Moreno, where he said that he was in the hospital the night before after the weight cut, so... You know, making 125 isn't exactly a given for Davison Figueredo. But man, Brandon Royville, he just fought. Just now. We just saw it. Went three rounds. And then you're going to turn around and have to be ready to make the weight again and also possibly step in to fight five rounds against the champion? Are you fucking kidding me? That's a lot to ask of a man. I mean, he sounds like he's he's... Excited about it, maybe ready to do it, maybe been thinking about it and all that. But uh, I don't know, if it were me, I would be thinking like, all right, would I want my title shot to come uh, at a time when I've had ample opportunity to prepare? Or would I want it to come one week after a fight where I'm probably still swollen and sore and did not really get any chance to train for this? And then if I go in there and lose to the champ, it's not like they're going to be like, oh, well, you did us a favor. We'll, we'll give you another crack at it with a full training camp after that. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, he this just is a tough ass way to have to try to seize an opportunity, you know? He just went the distance this weekend. And then they, they're going to have him step in for a five rounder next weekend. It also maybe tells you how desperate we are to keep this title fight together. Yeah. Because, you know. It's not like a whole lot of people were sitting there beforehand being like, well, hey, if Brandon Royville wins this one against Rogerio Bontarin, then he is going to be next in line for the title. He was he snapped a two-fight losing streak. You know, had lost to Brandon Moreno uh, in uh, 2020 and then turned around and lost to, to Pantoja. 
snap that losing streak, but it's not like you go like, okay, well, he's the one all of one fight. Let's give him another crack of Brandon Moreno. I mean, you lose again to Brandon Moreno. No one's going to care that it was on short notice. They're not going to give you another crack at it probably for a long time. It's, it's a lot to ask. I understand the thinking, how you go, you know, you can't turn down opportunities. UFCS, you don't want to do something. You want to see yes. And hey, maybe you make some money just for showing up, making weight, and staying ready, and they don't need you. And you just get to pocket the cash anyway. But are you fucking kidding me? That's tough, man. That's a tough ask. Can you imagine if he went three full rounds last weekend, and then he went into a last-minute title fight and went the distance in that one? That would be eight rounds in two weeks. That would be... Almost three fights. Yeah, that is some Jake LaMotta shit. That would be a lot. That would be a lot. In any case, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, we are led to believe that the situation for the current UFC heavyweight champion, Big Franny Ngannou, it looks like this. If he wins this fight against Cyril Gaon on Saturday at UFC 270, then he will have to stick around contractually in the UFC for you know maybe one fight, maybe just a year to sit around and wait, but that his business will not be concluded here. He will not be free to go off and do as he please. However, if he were to lose this fight, then maybe he would be free. Maybe there'd be, you know, a negotiating period and a matching clauses and things like that, but that his his contractual obligations ease a bit with a loss as opposed to a win here. Now, it is part of the CME gospel that it is generally better to win a professional cage fight than to lose it. Can you see a scenario here, though, where Francis Ngannou loses, perhaps in some kind of way that does not dim his free agency prospects too much, doesn't hurt his marketability if he wants to go do boxing or some other kind of shit, and that he comes out smelling like roses, even after a loss in a main event heavyweight title fight. Yeah, we should say from the jump that we don't expect any shenanigans from Francis Ngannou. I expect him to go out there and and fight his hardest and try to win this thing because I think... There's a part of me that would love some shenanigans, though. Come on. Even though uh, a victory here tides him over for, in theory, one more fight in the UFC because of the UFC Champions Clause, it is probably still better to win because then... Uh, he could sit out and wait that contract out until it expires and move on into free agency uh, with the UFC heavyweight title in his possession and free to do whatever he likes. Whereas a loss, it could well, you know, make his prospects less rosy on the other side of this UFC uh, career. If indeed he does walk away, Tyson Fury is talking about the possibility of a boxing match. Would he still be interested in that if like if Francis Ngannou gets knocked out by Cyril Gaon? I don't know. Uh, but it is probably at this point still better for Francis Ngannou to win than he than it is for him to lose. However, I think the best case scenario of a loss 
would be for Francis Ngannou to lose a bullshit decision, wouldn't it? Like, what if Francis Ngannou goes out there, has a good, close fight with Cyril Gaon, but we all think that he won it, that, like, the media scorecards are all for Francis Ngannou, and then there is some kind of bullshit split decision that Cyril Gaon wins, where Francis Ngannou is able to exit the fight looking like the better fighter and also potentially an immediate free agent. Something like that would be pretty interesting because uh, then there would be money in a rematch with Cyril Gaon that the UFC might be uh, motivated to make. And Francis Ngannou might have, you know, the chips. He might have some bargaining power on his side of the table in that he, he could, in theory at least, just walk away. I'm going to lay out for you the best case scenario for Francis Ngannou in a loss okay. that gives him great prospects moving forward. He goes out there in the first round, taking it to your man Serial Gaines, just beating him pillar to post. Then steps on a ad decal on the canvas in the octagon, slips, tweaks his knee, goes down, screaming in pain, clutching the knee. Uh, referee moves in and stop the fight. TKO loss due to injury suffered by Francis Ngannou, who can then point back to it and be like, see that? They won't let us have these sponsors on our shorts, but they put the decals all over the cage, and I just slipped on one, injured my damn knee. Don't worry, though. Went to the doctor, got an MRI. They said it's not serious. Won't even require surgery. I'll I'll be ready to go in six months. Now, it'll be a loss, technically, so should handle that contractual side of the equation. It won't seem like he suffered any downside and he could appear to be at at a grieved party against the UFC. Boom. Now you say we're not expecting any shenanigans. There's the agent of chaos. Part of me that would love just to see what would happen with at least some shenanigans, but I'm not suggesting it by any means that Francis is going to go out there and do this on purpose. I think he thinks that he's going to go out there and he's going to beat Serial. He's going to beat Serial Gone and they're going to handle the rest of it afterwards. Uh, I think that he's probably pretty confident headed into that fight. But there are some scenarios where you could see, where, you know, maybe it doesn't come out that bad for Francis Ngannou if he loses. I just, I also, though, I think that. It's one thing for the UFC to sit around and say, hey, if you don't want to be here, fine, you can walk. It's another thing to actually go through with that, especially if he goes out there and he does the Francis Ngannou shit and he just knocks Cyril Gaon's head clean off yeah. the way he did to Alistair Overeem or some of these other people, the way he did to Stipe. If he goes out there and he just murks the man and it's very clear who the heavyweight champion is, who the best heavyweight in, in MMA is... I gotta think the UFC will at least want to take a second pass at sitting down and talking about it to see what we can come up with. And yet at the same time, you have Francis Ngannou being over there saying, I'm done fighting for the guaranteed pay of, you know, 500 grand, 600 grand, and any contract I sign has to have a provision that will allow me to box. Like, that that's a serious upending of the normal course of UFC business. And yet... It's just so crazy to think that you would, you might watch this man come in here with his fucking James Bond ass drip, with his, uh, you know, expensive ass watch sponsor, converting his money to Bitcoin, all this other superstar shit friends and Ganu is doing. And if he goes in there and he beats your your interim champ that you tried to slap a belt on, 
that you would just be like, well, okay, we wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Well, and if he wins and he's the undisputed champion, then basically he's got nothing to do for like the rest of the year. So that at least gives you a an extended negotiating period if you're the UFC that he, he'll just be sitting there uh, trying to wait out his contract if that is indeed what he wants to do. So at least you would get the opportunity to negotiate with him some more if you want to, if you're the UFC. Uh, you are familiar with the internet though, right? Like you know that like... Uh, if Francis Ngannou emerges from this fight citing any kind of injury, if he's like, I twisted my knee against Cyril Gaon and that's why I lost, thanks Manscaped for the decal on the cage that caused me to slip. You think that like all of the MMA people on Twitter will be like, okay, yeah, that's legit. I'm sure it's fine. He's, I'm sure he's actually legitimately injured. We'll take his word for it. Hell no, man. You would have the Zapruder film-esque breakdowns of that thing on the internet for the rest of Francis Ngannou's career with like red arrows shooting down, pointing at the knee and like, is he really hurt? Did he fake it? Like, I guarantee you, MMA Twitter is such a wild place that people would accuse fucking Francis Ngannou of faking an injury. They would do it. You know they would. You're you're not wrong. You are onto something there. But would even that scenario dim people's interests significantly in seeing Francis Ngannou box Tyson Fury? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh we've I wanted to read this email that we got uh from Kevin Pollock from over on uh uh Patreon. P-A-W-L-A-K, so not Kevin Pollock like someone famous, but he wrote us this email. He says, what would happen if Francis Ngannou showed up for UFC 270, one or two pounds overweight? The UFC would have to strip him of the title, but he could still go out and knock out Cyril Gaon, but nullify the champion clause in his contract. And as an extra middle finger to the UFC, it would uh, leave the division in chaos. Okay, I love how all of us have probably thought through these possibilities way more than Francis Ngannou has. Yeah, I don't think Francis Ngannou was like, you know what I could do is miss weight. But what would happen? Is there language in the UFC's contract that is like, if you're the champion and you miss weight, we still get to keep you? Or I don't know. Because like when, you, like I said, disclaimer, we're not expecting any shenanigans. Save your emails. Uh but this is the best one that I've seen so far. People, because people have written us to be like, oh, what if Francis Ngannou goes out there, taps out immediately? What if he like fakes an injury, slips on the manscaped decal? This is the best one. Just miss, just come in 268. Be like, okay, well, I guess I forfeit the championship, but uh, pro- probably we'll still have the fight because we need to make the money on the pay-per-view. And then yeah. if you win, then what happens? Then what happens? Shouldn't have had those chicken wings last night. My B guys. Yeah. They there was a they were running a deal though. See, they were running a special it's fifty cent wing night. I don't. What do you want me to do? You know, I'm only human. Just roll in there one sixty eight or two sixty eight, two sixty nine. Still looking like a million bucks. Fifty thousand dollar watch on your arm. <sighs> I don't know, man. Not a terrible idea, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, what, go ahead. W- the one thing I wanted to ask here before we move away from this is. Obviously, this is going to be and has been, will continue to be this week, a big part of the conversation around this fight. And I, I've seen people suggest like, okay, Francis Ngannou should be doing more to promote the actual fight itself rather than talking about this aspect of it. And yet at the same time, everybody knows about this aspect of it. 
it is on our minds. Like it's on the media people's minds. It's definitely on the 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 hardcore fans who follow this shit. Their minds. Everybody's kind of thinking about that that element. And so obviously he's going to be asked a bunch. Dana White's going to be asked. It's it, it's only reasonable that he's going to end up talking about it. Does it detract from what the actual fight is? Because on one hand, I go like, okay, I get it. Like if you ignore that, you don't need that el- that extra element of it you don't need that sort of contractual drama where it's like a fighter pitting himself against the ufc and it's sort of notoriously screw job pay structure uh, of fighters but if you didn't have that maybe we'd be talking more about this you know former training partners become enemies thing that we have in the past shown to love uh maybe we just be talking more about how the actual matchup seems like it's going to play out the biggest fight in the heavyweight division that you could make right now basically uh and yet at the same time it seems like we're it's a classic kind of UFC moment where it's the the contractual structure ends up being part of the story and also that you went ahead and you slapped this interim title on Cyril Gaon even though the interim between Francis Ngannou fights especially as heavyweight champions go, was not that long. And, you know, here we have this great, like what is honestly a very exciting and interesting heavyweight matchup. But in order to be like a a knowledgeable viewer of the UFC, you also have to turn your bullshit detector down because they're going to show up and be like, this is a champ versus champ fight. And you're going to be like, well, kind of not really, you know. I mean, like it or not, one of the storylines for this fight is the contract negotiation. It's arguably the dominant storyline. So uh, that's that's out there and that's part of it. And I don't know how anybody could look at Francis Ngannou and think that he hasn't done anything to promote this fight. He's been in the news almost every day for like a month in the MMA bubble. And much of that is talk about his contract, but it's been more than what the UFC has done. It's been more than what uh, Cyril Gaon has done. He's been out there every day. He was on the MMA hour. His manager's been out there doing interviews. Uh, He did an interview with Megan Alevi on ESPN. He's the subject of a big feature story that one of ESPN's top mainstream sports writers, Tim Kewen, uh, wrote that I think is supposed to come out this week before the fight. Like what Francis and was on embedded. Like, what is he supposed to do? What, what do you want the guy to do? He's, he's the only person who is promoting this fight. And, and who would look at that and be like, what, why, when's he going to start promoting the fight? What else can he do to promote the fight? He's the only guy. He's the only guy trying to do it. And even, and then when he leaves the UFC, will be like, oh, this guy wouldn't sell any pay-per-views, wouldn't work with us, all this stuff. Like, Fuck all that, man. Like, it's not even Francis Ngannou's job to sell these fucking pay-per-views. It's the UFC's job. Period. Well, and I also saw, uh, you know, TMZ headline, Francis Ngannou saying he thinks he'll knock out uh, Cyril Gaon by the second round. You're like, that's what you really expect those guys to say in that situation. Like, that's that's what often counts as selling the fight around here. It's being like, I'm going to go out there and beat this guy's ass. That's kind of it. That's, yeah. that's often all that is expected. And plus, how many times have we seen... Guys get their fights sold when they don't even speak a lick of English. And Francis Ngannou has a whole lot of those promotional pieces that you would seem to want to have in place. Plus, I mean, how do you not get excited when you hear that this guy with the death touch is going to go out there and try to do the thing again? Yeah, uh, it's, and it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday of fight week. The UFC, at, anymore, the UFC doesn't start promoting these things before fight week, man. And so here we are, it's fight week. We'll see how it plays out, but I don't know how anybody in their right mind could look at Francis Ngannou and think he hasn't done anything to sell this fight. He's been the only one trying up to this point, and now this week we'll see what the other people can do. We'll see what the UFC can do. 
In any case, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, for the third time in just over 13 months, Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo will fight for the UFC Flyweight Championship, this being the co-main event of UFC 270 this weekend. First one back at UFC 256, December 12th of 2020, was a draw. Second one, UFC 263 in June uh, of 2021 was obviously won by third round submission by Brandon Moreno, who is now the standing UFC 125 pound champion. But we're going to do it one more time at UFC 270 this weekend. And much of the intrigue so far has been around the weight. We talked about that a little bit with the Brandon Royville situation. Uh, Davis and Figueredo has a hard time making 125 pounds. He is a big guy for the flyweight class. And, uh, you know, some people have theorized he kind of ran out of gas against Brandon Moreno in their second fight. He he seems to have made some changes. He seems to at least be saying publicly that he expects the weight cut to be easier this time around. How much stock do you put in all of this weight talk and and its alleged uh, uh, effect on the outcome of the second fight? And what are you looking for? I guess both on the scale and this week and leading up to fight night from Davis and Figueredo as we prepare to do this for a third time. I mean, it's so hard to know because you are telling us it hampered your performance in the second fight, but also you were in the hospital before the first fight, and that was a hell of a damn fight. And hearing somebody who has been the champion at that weight class and who has suffered the effects of a hard weight cut and would have us believe that maybe even lost his title because of the effects of the hard weight cut and to say, okay, this time I got it figured out. It's hard not to ask yourself, why, why did it take this long to figure it out? Why was it not worth figuring out earlier? If it was something that was just a matter of learning what to do and not asking too much of your body, because that's the stuff that's harder to figure out. So I it's it's hard to know what to expect in that regard. It's also hard to know what to expect, sort of like what kind of approach Davison Figueredo is going to take. Because you remember before, especially that before, especially that second fight with Brandon Moreno, we praised but also sort of shook our heads in awe Davison Figueredo for going out there and fighting just totally balls out, even in title fights, even when he was the defending champion. Fighting like it never occurred to him that he might be giving his opponent openings and that in fighting to go out there and finish and win, he was creating more opportunities for himself to lose. And that's something that other champions for years have been criticized for, especially once their dominant champions established there. And, you know, GSP took a lot of shit for it over the years where people would say, okay, he's just trying to protect the belt. He's not going out there to finish people anymore, that kind of stuff. And Figueredo was really fighting the opposite of that. And it was a hell of a lot of fun to watch, but it also made you wonder how long it could last. Yeah. And then in that second fight with Brandon Moreno, you didn't quite see that. You didn't see that same approach. And maybe it was due to not feeling great after the weight cut and just didn't feel like he had that in him. But it felt like that made him easier to beat by Brandon Moreno, if anything. 
And so you do wonder what psychological effect does that have and how does it affect the game plan and the, the style he goes in there with? Because it seems like when he was really confident in that style and was just brimming with that sort of bloodlust and enthusiasm from the get-go, that's when he was the most dangerous. Yeah, and you would love to see that Davis and Figueredo show up for this third fight, the guy who was stopping everybody he was fighting and and was out there just kind of big brother and everybody at 125 pounds. That would make uh, this third fight against Brandon Moreno all the more interesting. Obviously, you know, Brandon Moreno is an amazing fighter in his own right. Seems like a likable good champion for the UFC, but like you, you get both these guys at the top of their game. I think that's how you want it for the third fight for this, this kind of unorthodox trilogy. You mentioned like Davidson Figueredo and his aggressiveness and the way he was fighting, kind of letting it all hang out. And all of that is obviously true. And in, in addition to that, man, this is, this dude fought four times in 2020. Like that is crazy for a championship level fighter in the UFC he actually fought Tim Elliott in October of 2019 and then fought Joseph Benavidez in February of 2020. So like this dude's pace was unreal fighting. He fought Joseph Benavidez twice. Then he had Alex Perez and then he had Brandon Moreno all in 2020. Now, obviously um, several of those were pretty short fights for Davison Figueredo, but he actually fought Alex Perez at UFC 255 in November of 2020 defeated, you know, beat him in just under two minutes via guillotine choke, turned around, remember this, turned around and came back to fight Brandon Moreno uh, less than a month later at UFC 256. Yeah. That was their first fight that ended in the draw. And then, of course, we did it in June of 2021 at UFC 263. That's the one that Moreno won. But just like, not only are you like struggling to make the weight, not only are you fighting in in a crazy, entertaining, let it all hang out style, but to fight four times in 2020 is, is crazy for a person at that level. Like, you know, when it comes to heavyweight, we're lucky we get two title fights yeah. in a year and Davis and Figueredo is out here fighting every couple of months does a less than one month turnaround to fight Brandon Moreno the first time. So I'm interested to see what happens if he has the weight figured out, if he can go in there as confident as, as he can be. And also like just with a little rest, man, like guy only fought one time in uh, 2021. And then now we'll come in, in, in January of 2020 or 2022 and fight again. Like, uh, I hope we get a, a hundred percent Davis and Figueredo. Cause I think that makes this fight all the more interesting. Yeah. So why I also would wonder a little bit if I was Brandon Moreno about, okay, so we got to turn around and do this shit again. Even after I finished this guy last time, who do you think it benefits more to have these guys at this point know each other pretty well, having spent so much time in the cage together? Oh, it's hard to say, man. I mean, I guess I would we'll just guess to say Moreno. Cause he seems you know, like a, like a smart technical fighter with a lot of skills. He doesn't have that size advantage. So he's, uh, you know, maybe it behooves him or helps him a little bit more to, to have that, that knowledge. But I think they're two really good fighters. And I think that like, you know, they're, they're pretty close to each other in skill. At least that's what I think going into this third one. And so it's going to be an interesting matchup and, uh, they, they probably both benefit from it is probably the real, the real answer to the question. Yeah, I mean, my thought, too, was Moreno, just because it seems like if if either of them, between the two of them, is the kind of guy who is adjusting his game plan based on what he's seen from the other guy and who is coming up with a little bit more of like a, a, a tactical uh, adjustment, I think it would tend to be Moreno. 
just because what we saw from Davis and Figueredo when he seemed to be at his best was just going out there and getting after your ass and not even thinking about what you do, thinking only about what it is he's trying to do. And I do wonder like how he approaches this one. If he still thinks like, you know what? Like we've, we've made fun of fighters before in the past for the, the dual reinventions of saying, I'm a brand new fighter. You've never seen this version of me, but also sometimes at a certain point in their career saying, I'm going back to the old me going back to that guy. And that that guy was really dangerous. And you're going to have a hard time. I wonder which one Davison Figueredo was leaning towards. If he's saying, I got to be a brand new fighter for this. Or if he's saying, you know what? The thing is, I just got to get back to what I was doing in that first fight. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. You know who it doesn't benefit? Any other flyweight. <laughs> if you're one of these guys at the top of this list, top of the UFC flyweight rankings, you got to kind of be like, what, what, what about me? What about me, dog? I'm I'm here. You guys don't just need to do this ad nauseum. Like, well, so you give somebody but else. They kind of do. They kind of because uh, there's not a whole lot of great options that are ready and available to like take this fight right now. So I could see it. I mean, when I think that's why you even see somebody like Brandon Royville being told, "Hey, don't don't go to the buffet just yet, man." Stay within some some sweating distance of the weight because we might need you. Because there's not a whole lot of great, like practically available options for a flyweight title fight right now. Yeah. I mean, last time somebody else got the opportunity to fight for the flyweight title was Alex Perez when Davison Figueredo beat him in November of 2020 that I talked about a few minutes ago. Prior to that, the last flyweight title fight uh, was Henry Cejudo against TJ Dillashaw. Okay. So... A little while ago. January of 2019. So if you're one of these other flyweight contenders, I hope you're on the young side. I guess I'll just say that. Maybe <laughs> you're not burning the midnight oil. Time's time's not your enemy here, I would hope, because uh, you've been waiting a while. Yeah. All right, let's do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben Folks, what's your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, I'm reading a story on BJPen.com where Marcus Davis – who I'm sure all the old heads all remember, the Irish hand grenade. Uh, he fought apparently in November for Premier FC. I feel like I vaguely remember this happening. Uh, a Premier FC event went down in Springfield, Massachusetts, November 19th, 2021. Now, Marcus Davis went out there and won, got a, got a first round submission over Steven Stengel. He says in this story, he has not been paid one cent for that by Premier FC. Quote, zero, been two months, haven't paid me one cent. They ghosted me for the past 25 days. I reached out to them today to let them know I was going public, only to have the CEO threaten me with an attorney if I spoke out. The claim is they took on an investor that after his check cleared the bank, the Fed froze the account because the investor had ties to terrorism. Hmm. I'm just saying, you know how sometimes... We talk about how maybe it's a good thing that the mainstream sports world isn't paying attention to what we're doing over here and MMA. Stuff like this is exactly what I'm talking about. Because not only to hear Sky fought for free, hasn't been paid, but that the reason he was given, as if he's supposed to allay all his concerns, is, hey man, it's not our fault. We had an investor whose money got froze because of their ties to terrorism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that just feels like, honestly, 
a kind of a normal thing that could happen in MMA. I'm just saying. Just please, saying. there are there are plenty of times when we should be glad to be so ignored. Just saying. I'm tempted to say one of the questions you should ask when you take on an investor is, do you have any ties to terrorism? But in reality, okay. like who who asks? Who even thinks that? Who's like got a checklist? Like a drug? Are you a drug dealer at all? No. Okay. Good. Do you have any ties to terrorism? Can't help but notice that when you came in here with the money you planned to invest with us, uh, it was in a briefcase handcuffed to your wrist. And you have a really kind of, I want to say evil looking jagged scar down your face. Yeah. Uh, And one of your eyes is just a piece of metal. (laughs) Uh, You, you and your friends, uh, I can't help but notice are carrying automatic weapons. You just, just stroke that cat. Why are you stroking that cat <laughs> as we talk about this investment opportunity? Why did you insist on having this meeting in an undersea lair? Because that's not how these usually go. I just but, I'd be remiss in my duties as CEO <laughs> if I didn't at least yeah, ask about C- that. CFO. That's what the CFO does. Uh, ben, you will remember that after Michael Page defeated Douglas Lima back at Bellator two sixty seven in October of twenty twenty one. We kind of threw up our hands and we said, man, if you're Bellator and you've been you've been leading us down the path with Michael Page now uh, for a lot of years, all the way back since 2013, the guy's 34 years old. He's 20 and one overall. He just avenged his one career loss. If you're if you've been grooming him for something, now's the time. Now's the time to do it. It's time to to uh, shoot Michael Page into the stratosphere to give him an opportunity, if indeed that is something you want. Well, I guess this week, I'm just saying, they're doing it. They're doing it. Just announced this week over there, Bellator going to put the welterweight championship on the line. Yaroslav Amasov, the undefeated fighter against Michael Venom Page, headlining the May 13th Bellator event in London. Amasov is 26-0, so probably a uh, a tough assignment here for Michael Page. But, I mean, I guess you got to give him the credit now because they brought this guy up. They turned him into a thing. They fed him a bunch of cans. They slowly started increasing the, uh, the competition. He had the one loss to Douglas Lima, but then they built him back up again, and now he beats Douglas Lima. You and I said, you got to do something with him now before it's too late. So I guess I'm just saying, looks like they are. Looks like they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing Just it. Just saying. They're doing it. All right. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. As we said at the beginning of the show, if you want to check us out over at Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash co-main event, sign up to join the team. Uh, we will be back there tomorrow with the live chat and then Thursday with doing the damn thing. And then Friday with the Power Hour. So you can check us out every day for the rest of this week leading up to UFC 270. If you so desire, patreon.com slash co-main event. Uh, Thanks for listening. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You know, it's it's not until now that I realized that I never asked if you have ties to terrorism. What? You know, uh, I'm just saying. Look at the time. Since the topic came up, we've talked about a lot of things. Never once just come out and ask you, Chad Dundas, if that guy is your real name. Ties to terrorism. I don't know why you would think that. Is it because I wear a giant ruby ring all the time? Is it because I have a cane with a wolf's head grip that pulls out into a sword? Can't a man 
then carry a cane with a wolf's head grip that pulls out into a sword and a, 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 a cyanide tablet around his neck without constantly being asked if he has ties to terrorism. It just, now that I'm putting some pieces together, it does seem weird how whenever I go to your house, you're always trying to get me to stand on that trap door. <laughs> uh, I would answer your question, but I'm getting a call on the sat phone right now from Turkey, so uh, okay. I gotta go. 